Section six of Confessions, volumes five and six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, volumes five and six, by Jean Jacques Rousseau, anonymously translated. Section six if some false principles misled her how many admirable ones did she not possess which never forsook her by how many virtues did she atone for her failings if we can call by that name errors in which the senses had so little share the man who in one particular deceived her so completely had given her excellent instructions in a thousand others and her passions being far from turbulent permitted her to follow the dictates she ever acted wisely when her sophisms did not intervene and her designs were laudable even in her failings false principles might lead her to do ill but she never did anything which she conceived to be wrong she abhorred lying and duplicity was just equitable humane disinterested true to her word her friends and those duties which she conceived to be such incapable of hatred or revenge and not even conceiving that there was a merit in pardoning in fine to return to those qualities which were less excusable though she did not properly value she never made a vile commerce of her favours she lavished but never sold them though continually reduced to expedients for a subsistence and i dare assert that if socrates could esteem aspasia he would have respected madame de varens i am well aware that ascribing sensibility of heart with coldness of temperament to the same person i shall generally and with great appearance of reason be accused of a contradiction perhaps nature sported or blundered and this combination ought not to have existed i only know it did exist all those who know madame de varens a great number of whom are yet living have had opportunities of knowing this was a fact i dare even aver she had but one pleasure in the world which was serving those she loved let every one argue on the point as he pleases and gravely prove that this cannot be my business is to declare the truth and not to enforce a belief of it i became acquainted with the particulars i have just related in those conversations which succeeded our union and alone rendered it delicious she was right when she concluded her complaisance would be useful to me 
i derived great advantages from it in point of useful instruction hitherto she had used me as a child she now began to treat me as a man and entertain me with accounts of herself everything she said was so interesting and i was so sensibly touched with it that reasoning with myself i applied these confidential relations to my own improvement and received more instruction from them than from her teaching when we truly feel that the heart speaks our own opens to receive its instructions nor can all the pompous morality of a pedagogue have half the effect that is produced by the tender affectionate and artless conversation of a sensible woman on him who loves her the intimacy in which i lived with madame de varence having placed me more advantageously in her opinion than formerly she began to think notwithstanding my awkward manner that i deserved cultivation for the polite world and that if i could one day show myself there in an eligible situation i should soon be able to make my way in consequence of this idea she set about forming not only my judgment but my address endeavouring to render me amiable as well as estimable and if it is true that success in this world is consistent with strict virtue which for my part i do not believe i am certain there is no other road than that she had taken and wished to point out to me for madame de varence knew mankind and understood exquisitely well the art of treating all ranks without falsehood and without imprudence neither deceiving nor provoking them but this art was rather in her disposition than her precepts she knew better how to practise than explain it and i was of all the world the least calculated to become master of such an attainment accordingly the means employed for this purpose were nearly lost labour as well as the pains she took to procure me a fencing and a dancing master though very well made i could never learn to dance a minuet for being plagued with corns i had acquired a habit of walking on my heels which roche the dancing master could never break me of it was still worse at the fencing school where after three months practice i made but very little progress and could never attempt fencing with any but my master my wrist was not supple enough nor my arm sufficiently firm to retain the foil whenever he chose to make it fly out of my hand add to this i had a mortal aversion both to the art itself 
and to the person who undertook to teach it to me nor should i ever have imagined that any one could have been so proud of the science of sending men out of the world to bring this vast genius within the compass of my comprehension he explained himself by comparisons drawn from music which he understood nothing of he found striking analogies between a hit in carte or tierce with the intervals of music which bear those names when he made a feint he cried out take care of this diesis because anciently they called the diesis a feint and when he had made the foil fly from my hand he would add with a sneer that this was a pause in a word i never in my life saw a more insupportable pedant i made therefore but little progress in my exercises which i presently quitted from pure disgust but i succeeded better in an art of a thousand times more value namely that of being content with my situation and not desiring one more brilliant for which i began to be persuaded that nature had not designed me given up to the endeavour of rendering madame de varens happy i was ever best pleased when in her company and notwithstanding my fondness for music began to grudge the time i employed in giving lessons to my scholars i am ignorant whether annet perceived the full extent of our union but i am inclined to think he was no stranger to it he was a young man of great penetration and still greater discretion who never belied his sentiments but did not always speak them without giving me the least hint that he was acquainted with our intimacy he appeared by his conduct to be so nor did this moderation proceed from baseness of soul but having entered entirely into the principles of his mistress he could not reasonably disapprove of the natural consequences of them though as young as herself he was so grave and thoughtful that he looked on us as two children who required indulgence and we regarded him as a respectable man whose esteem we had to preserve it was not until after she was unfaithful to annet that i learned the strength of her attachment to him she was fully sensible that i only thought felt or lived for her she let me see therefore how much she loved annet that i might love him likewise and dwell less on her friendship than on her esteem for him because this was the sentiment that i could most fully partake of 
how often has she affected our hearts and made us embrace with tears by assuring us that we were both necessary to her happiness let not women read this with an ill-natured smile with the temperament she possessed this necessity was not equivocal it was only that of the heart thus there was established among us three a union without example perhaps on the face of the earth all our wishes our cares our very hearts were for each other and absolutely confined to this little circle the habit of living together and living exclusively from the rest of the world became so strong that if at our repasts one of the three was wanting or a fourth person came in everything seemed deranged and notwithstanding our particular attachments even our tete-a-tete were less agreeable than our reunion what banished every species of constraint from our little community was a lively reciprocal confidence and dullness or insipidity could find no place among us because we were always fully employed madame de varence always projecting always busy left us no time for idleness though indeed we had each sufficient employment on our own account it is my maxim that idleness is as much the pest of society as of solitude nothing more contracts the mind or engenders more tales mischief gossiping and lies than for people to be eternally shut up in the same apartment together and reduced from the want of employment to the necessity of an incessant chat when every one is busy unless you have really something to say you may continue silent but if you have nothing to do you must absolutely speak continually and this in my mind is the most burdensome and the most dangerous constraint i will go further and maintain that to render company harmless as well as agreeable it is necessary not only that they should have something to do but something that requires a degree of attention knitting for instance is absolutely as bad as doing nothing you must take as much pains to amuse a woman whose fingers are thus employed as if she sat with her arms crossed but let her embroider and it is a different matter she is then so far busied that a few intervals of silence may be borne with what is most disgusting and ridiculous during these intermissions of conversation is to see perhaps a dozen overgrown fellows get up 
sit down again walk backwards and forwards turn on their heels play with the chimney ornaments and rack their brains to maintain an inexhaustible chain of words what a charming occupation such people wherever they go must be troublesome both to others and themselves when i was at moutier i used to employ myself in making laces with my neighbours and were i again to mix with the world i would always carry a cup and ball in my pocket i should sometimes play with it the whole day that i might not be constrained to speak when i had nothing to discourse about and i am persuaded that if every one would do the same mankind would be less mischievous their company would become more rational and in my opinion a vast deal more agreeable in a word let wits laugh if they please but i maintain that the only practical lesson of morality within the reach of the present age is that of the cup and ball End of section six. Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey.